If you want to be honest by raising your hand, you can. If you just want to want to nod in my direction, you can as well. Um, that way I don't feel like I'm alone here in the room with the following statements. Have you ever made plans, had some dreams, leave one of those throwdown Sunday services filled with purpose, filled with this sense of great vision of your life and the kingdom only to have it derailed Monday morning by people. Okay, we got, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. And you just, all of a sudden that like, I, I got a praise has been turned into you staring at a wall blankly without an expression on your face. Ever leave church full of faith, ready to take on the world and walk in the power of the Holy Ghost only to have the brightness of the altar call sucked out of you by people ever get you know up from an amazing time you know one of those times you didn't hit the snooze button and you got down and you sought the face of God and you read your Bible only to be roasted by your boss at work that's never happened to me um, I don't know it really hasn't it really it really hasn't uh, here's the thing. When, when those situations happen, you know, you, all kinds of thoughts and feelings run through your mind. Like, why does it always have to be this way? The devil is a liar. Um, but the, the thing we all have to realize is this, is that difficult people and difficult situations are a part of life. They are just a part of life. My title tonight is drama, 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 proverbs on dealing with difficult people and difficult situations. You're like, why is there so much drama in my life? Well, because there is. That is the way that it is. One of my most hated statements that I say all of the time and they get frustrated with myself is it is what it is. I hate that. I just, oh. Hate it so much, but unfortunately, sometimes that's the way it be. It is like it is. See, because many times people believe that there's this magical land of victory. And I've talked about this before. We've learned this over the past two years. That there's this magical land of victory where, you know, we get to the peak of that mountain and the Lord will close the mouth of the haters like he did the lions in Daniel's den. And, and he'll smite your boss with lactose intolerance and you'll get a raise and he'll get off your back. And difficult people will be miraculously changed into wonderful, kind, perfect people. Your spouse will no longer be annoying, dramatic, overbearing, moody, cold, or breathe through their mouth that way. And your children will never, never have a struggle and they will always be sweet and kind and never stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'll never look at me like, did you, is, are we, like, are we, we're family, right? Did, you, did those words come out of your mouth? Did you really, like, think that through? And they'll always make the right choices. But unfortunately, we build idols to ideal lives, and ideal lives don't exist. There's just the real life. There's just the real world. And you set yourself up for tremendous disappointment with God, 
with the church because you find out that half the people in the church need Jesus as much as you do. And uh, your family, your friends, your spouse. And if you don't tip that idol over and embrace the world as it truly is and walk into difficult situations and deal with difficult people with a blend of biblical principle and realism, you're going to be tremendously disappointed and your faith may even take a hit. Success, growth, impact, revival happens in the mix of life. Pastor Robert, you and I were talking about our reading. We're reading the book of Acts and we're both reading the book of Acts right now. And one of the things that, that as you read the book of Acts repeatedly, I'm, I'm in a Bible program where I'm reading it every, every month. I'm reading the book of Acts. So I'm supposed to read it every month. Sometimes I miss a few days, but you get the picture. Every, every 28 times I read my Bible, I'm hitting reset on the book of Acts. And we talk about, we want to be a book of Acts church. We want to have signs, uh, wonders, you know, miracles outpouring of the Holy Ghost. 3,000 people added to the church every day. Well, sometimes if you live in a book of Acts church, in a book of Acts life, you get hit with sticks and you deal with grumpy people because that's the world the early church was in. And so we discovered that success, growth, impact, revival happens in the mix of life. And so rather than praying, hoping, wishing, pleading, begging with God, Wishing upon a star for difficult people or tense situations to disappear. We're going to deal with them biblically. We're going to look at the book of Proverbs. Now we can look at the whole Bible. But tonight we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. And the thing we got to notice about Proverbs is Proverbs is not plug and play. Proverbs deals with the nuances of life. There are exceptions to rules. And um, we've got to understand that as we move forward. But I want to give you... A series of Proverbs tonight. I've got eight on my list. We'll see how far we make it. We may have to pick this up another time. But I want to give you eight principles from the Word of God that will help you deal with the drama, drama, drama that is life. Principle number one is this. Love and truth always. That as followers of Jesus, we live from the lens or we deal with people, including difficult people, from truth and love. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4 says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Here's what Dr. Seagrave says in his commentary on Proverbs. Mercy without truth would have no standards. And we all have met people like that. We all have met people that were so loving, they were doormats. They were so loving, they just dealt with everybody's garbage. They were so loving that they had no boundaries. And then we've met people on the other side is that they were all truth. But truth without mercy is hard. It is unbending. But mercy and truth must be together in your life so that they can balance and complement one another. Mercy and truth must be the filter. Mercy and truth, not frustration. Mercy and truth, not personal preference. Mercy and truth must be the filter through which we interact with others and the world. And here's how it applies to dealing with difficult people and difficult circumstances. This means if mercy and truth, if love and truth flow together, we must strive to be lovingly honest and direct. 
Personality often dictates which end of the spectrum that you fall on. But the Bible will often pull at the extremes of your personality to have you meet somewhere in God's middle. If you're always trying to be loving and you never want to hurt feelings and you never want to ruffle feathers, you won't be honest. You will be dishonest. You will misdirect. That's just what it is. It's, if somebody tell, asks your opinion on something or you, you need to give them feedback on something and you're like, oh, but I don't really like conflict and I don't want to hurt their feelings. I, I like it. It's great. I love the clump of hair that was in the middle of that cupcake. It was just, that's happened to me before. It was like, oh, it was delicious. It hit the spot. And the spot was what I named garbage. Uh, the garbage, you know, I've done that before. I'm like all of these things. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've broken all of these principles and I'm working on me as much as I'm trying to help you work on you. I lean towards the mercy side where I, I want to help people. I don't want to make people feel bad. It, but that's not good. If you're always trying to be loving, love always tells the truth. And if you really love someone, you will tell them the truth. And if you find yourself chronically not telling the truth, do you really love people or do you love the comfortable feeling you get when you avoid conflict? You will veil the truth, avoid conflict, and be a people pleaser. The opposite is, if you're always like, I'm just going to tell it like it is. Well, people probably think you're a jerk. You're going to be all truth, and you're going to be no love, and you're going to be no mercy. You'll be harsh, you'll be rough, you'll be offensive. So what we've got to do, if mercy and truth need to be bound around our neck, we need to speak forthrightly and lovingly and honestly out of a desire to build people up, and to serve the improvement of whatever life situation is in front of us. When you speak from love and truth, you speak openly and honestly, not to vent. We'll talk about that in a second. Not to get stuff off your chest, but to build up the person and help them live better or serve the improvement of the situation. Principle number two. And this is where the nuance comes in. Principle number two of dealing with difficult people in difficult circumstances is this. Let the character of the person you're dealing with dictate your response. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Proverbs chapter 9, 7 through 9. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. He who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Dealing with difficult people does not mean that every situation has a cookie-cutter response. Obviously, we speak from mercy, and we speak from truth. But the degree to which we're going to go down the rabbit hole of an argument with somebody depends upon their character. Scripture says, if you're dealing with a pack of fools, you don't need to fight with them. There is no need to share your wisdom with a fool. They will despise it. And sometimes we find ourselves in bad situations and in fights we shouldn't be in. 
and in drama we shouldn't get all tore up in because we're a wise person trying to help a fool see their folly. There are some people, you got to understand this, this is truth in love here. There are some people that you will never be able to help. Amen? There we go. Some people, you're not going to help them. You're not going to change them. You're not going to influence them because they are foolish. They're foolish. They're inflated with their own sense of rightness. They're carnal. They have bad character. Let's let the Bible describe what a fool is for a second. I'm going to read a series of verses, hopefully without too much commentary, but I make no promises. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, only in expressing his opinion. How do you know if you're dealing with a fool? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Number two, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. We're going to revisit that in a second. Proverbs 14, verse 16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Proverbs 26, verse 11. Like a dog returns to its vomit. Any dog owners in the house? We know this happens. Um, is a fool who repeats his folly. The, the Bible is not taking any prisoners right now. It's saying someone that keeps making the same poor life choices over and over and over and over again is like a dog that pukes and eats it. That's gross. But that's how the Bible describes people that keep repeating the same mistake. And so here's what the scripture says. Stop rescuing them. Stop it. Stop rescuing people like that. Stop getting involved with people like that. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. So here's the summary. Before you engage, ask yourself, if I speak the truth in love, will I be banging my head against the wall? Because this person acts foolishly. Engaging with a foolish person is only going to hurt you. Some fights are not worth having. Some conversations are not worth the drama it will take. The scripture says, I don't have the scripture available for you, but it said, count the cost before you get into a dispute with somebody because anger and strife is like putting a big hole in a dam and getting surprised when all kinds of water comes out. A fool is someone who is always ranting, quick-tempered, always fighting, a know-it-all, a perennial victim, a perennial or a perennial bully, never reflective or self-aware, and a slanderer. The person is always gossiping. They're always tearing other people down. They're always quick-tempered. They keep throwing themselves in a great big pit, and then you got to go dig them out. If they're never open to the fact that their perspective is skewed and may be wrong. Proverbs 17 verse 10 and verse 12 says this. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. The Bible said that. The Bible said, why are you trying to beat sense into somebody when you should put down the stick, walk away and find somebody who is hungry for growth and righteousness? Rebuke is more effective for a wise man. And this says, let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. That's, 
That's amazing. I'm sorry. My, I love this passage of scripture. The wise man is saying, look, go fight a bear. It's safer. It's easier. You're going to get hurt less. Go fight an angry mama bear that has lost her cubs and thinks you're the kidnapper. It is better for you. If someone is a fool, don't engage with them as much as possible. Don't try to help. Don't try to teach. Don't try to instruct or change. Pray for them. Pray that God would break their spirit. Pray that God would change their mind. Remember, you are not the Christ. You didn't get up on a big old cross and shed any blood for their sin. And so thus, you are not the one that should be self sacrificing to rescue a foolish person from their mistake. If you can be open and clear, however, with an honest person, if they've got good character, you know that you can wade in. And if you do it from mercy and love, the relationship is safe. They will hear you out. They may challenge you. You may challenge them, but discern the character of the person. And by the way, how can you be a wise man? If you want to be wise, learn to take criticism. The scripture says a wise man takes criticism. A wise man is thankful for feedback. A wise man is thankful when they receive teaching and instruction. A wise man is thankful for accountability. Principle number three, seek to de-escalate. Proverbs 15 verse one says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The single great contributing factor to anger is the tongue And while grievous words can stir up anger, soft responses to anger can turn it away. There's nothing wrong with debate. There's nothing wrong with at times heated exchanges over issues. In fact, if you never have moments of sharp, open disagreement with people that are in your circle, chances are you're probably not actually that close. Because if you're close with somebody, you're going to disagree with them. However, we should seek to de-escalate the tension, not by abandoning the issue, dumping the debate, or simply agreeing so it will go away, but by intentionally softening the blow of our words. Not by violating truth, but by speaking it in love. In other words, don't match their tone. Stay in control. Principle number four, moving quickly. You don't always have to say everything that comes into your heart. It comes into your mind, comes into your head. You don't have to say everything that comes into your mind. Proverbs 29 verse 11, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Let that settle in for a second. Not everything you feel is right, healthy, or reasonable. Not everything I feel is right, healthy, or reasonable. Now here's the thing. You have the right to feel all sorts of things. A lot of times Christians get all twisted up inside because they try to abandon and deny their feelings because they feel like they shouldn't feel them. You should feel them. You should allow yourself to feel them. You should process them. You should seek to understand them. Why you feel the way that you are. Now, this is a tangent tip. Some of you have probably heard this before, that if you have to use the word that to describe a feeling, I feel that, you're not actually describing a feeling, you're describing a thought. 
When someone says, I feel that, they're not feeling, they're thinking. But a feeling is like a real emotion, like anger, jealousy, abandonment, sadness, grief. If you find yourself struggling with the same intense negative feelings repeatedly, you need to process them. You need to sit down and ask yourself what thoughts have run through my mind right before I started to feel this way. What conversations did I have in my head that caused me to spiral down the rabbit hole and create this emotional environment in my mind? This, pro this proverb is not saying understanding your emotions, processing your emotions, dealing with your emotions is bad do all do all of those things do all of the things it's saying is what it's saying is is just because you feel it doesn't mean you need to let it pour out of your mouth as if it's objective fact you don't have to give full vent when you're in a difficult situation so let me tell you what you're in a difficult situation Difficult problem, especially with people that you love, especially with people that you care about, especially if you're dealing with people that you don't necessarily trust and they start hitting sore spots and buttons in your life, you're going to feel all kinds of things. You're going to have all sorts of emotions. And you're going to write all kinds of stories in your mind about what they said and how they looked and what it all means. It's okay to feel that. It's okay to think that. It's okay to process that. But you don't have to say it out loud in front of the person. You don't need to say it with the intensity with which you feel it either. I just have to get it off my chest. No, you don't. You actually, you actually don't. It's actually possible to let things just sit for three or four days and let the emotional edge of them deaden and die off. You don't have to, when you get mad at your spouse, go and turn to a family member or a friend and throw them under the wheels of the bus. That is not appropriate. You should not do that. You should not, when you get mad at your boss, just let them have it. Here's the thing, if it's not helpful to the conversation, if it's not going to bring about change or improvement, if it's not going to solve the problem, if it's just you raging out, you don't need to say it. It's also not wise. You need to have people you are vulnerable with, and you need to know, like we said in the previous principle, who not to be vulnerable with. There are all sorts of people in my life, many of them people I serve with here, that if I'm feeling something very strongly, I will just, I will speak it as in truth, in love, as much as I can, very forthrightly and very passionately. Because they're safe people. They're wise people. They're good people. They'll hear me. They'll challenge me. And we'll have a conversation. But there are other people in my life, thankfully not here. There are other people in my life. I am very vulnerable with a lot of people. I am invulnerable with them. Why? Because it's not wise to give full vent to my feelings in their presence because they gossip, they slander, they have anger issues, or they've just got things going on in their life that let me know that their character is poor. Don't give full vent to your feelings. Principle number five. I've got to hurry. My goodness. Resist the urge to respond immediately. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly 
and shame to him. It's a folly and shame to him. Dr. Seagrave says this, it is a folly to give an answer quickly before knowing the whole story. Quick and thoughtless answers will ultimately bring shame to those who give them. One of the marks of wisdom is the ability to hear a person through before giving a response. It's good to discipline oneself, to refrain from interrupting and from trying to anticipate what the other person is going to say. We must not put words in others' mouths. It is always wise to stop and think before forming a response. When dealing with difficult situations, there is an urge in our culture to respond immediately. We live in a culture of urgency. Everything's urgent. Everything is urgent. Everything involves a response. They push that upon our political leaders. Something happens, they want a news bite. They want a statement within minutes of often a cataclysmic world event happening. It's great for speechwriters. They always will stay employed. It's great for communication people. They're always going to have a job. But it is not a biblical culture is not functioning like that. We live in a culture of urgency. Resist it. Let me help you. This is something I have struggled with. I have put this. I'm trying to put this in, my, in place in my life, especially in ministry. Do not allow someone else's emergency to become yours. Don't allow someone else's emergency to become yours. All kinds of people, and, and those of you that are involved in ministry here, you know this is the case. Pastor, pastor, come quick. I remember this is a story from Brother Bernard, so it didn't happen here. Pastor, pastor, come over quick. You got to come to our house right now. Because our marriage is over and he was in the middle of a family night. This changed my whole attitude to pastoral care. Heard this about five years ago. He come over right now. He said, well, let me check my calendar. I have an appointment. Appointment was family game night. And he said, one of the reasons why I don't have phone calls like that is because I have appointments with my family that I keep and we spend time together and I spend time with my wife and we talk and have conversations so things don't escalate to that cataclysmic level. And she said, Brother Bernard, if you don't get over here, I'm going to, I'm going to stab him. He said, well, he put him on the phone and he said, I think she's serious. You need to leave for the evening and I'll see you in my office tomorrow morning at 9am. He said, because I was not about to make their emergency mine. It takes people. People don't get to that level overnight. You have people in your family that will call you breathless on the phone being like, solve this problem for me right now. Here's the deal. It didn't get to that level overnight. And so because it didn't get to that level overnight, why should you allow your whole space to be completely disrupted and enter. Now, of course, there's exceptions to this. There are real emergencies. There are things that happen, but that require immediate responses. But don't allow somebody else's emergency to become yours. Practical tips. If you get a distressing text, set a timer to think about it before you respond. Snooze the email or snooze the message for a day. I do that all the time. This proverb is to ensure not only that you hear someone through, but also that you give your own emotions time to settle so that you can think and communicate yourself clearly and avoid heated conflict. Now, 
This is to get you to take the time to respond wisely. This does not mean that you can avoid responding. This does not equal no response at all because you don't like conflict or tough conversations. It's so that you can have time to respond because Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Wise people do their homework before they respond. As Christians, we need to be known for our diligence of thinking things through. In a culture that demands urgency all the time, it's okay for Christians to take a breath, open the Word of God, pray, get godly counsel, read a book, at least do a little internet research before responding. Principle number six, and I'm going to try to wrap this up pretty quickly. Own your mistakes. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. As followers of Jesus, we practice honesty and truth, not just with other people, but with ourselves. Even if it means you're going to look bad temporarily. If you blow up at your kids, apologize. I have done this. Two weeks ago, I was really stressed out about something. I was feeling a little snappy. My son, who obviously won't be watching this sermon, he's downstairs with his mother playing piano right now. Uh, and um, I blew up. I shouted at him. I was wrong. I shouted at him. I hollered. And I said, you know, I, he was doing something that was wrong, but my response didn't match. Didn't match it. It was bad. It was a bad moment for me as a dad. And when I realized what I did, I stopped and said, Judah, I was wrong. I yelled at you because I was angry. I'm sorry. I was stressed out about something else. And I took that out on you. I need you to forgive me. Well, I can never do that to my kids. Parents never admit when they're wrong. Look, your kids are smart. They're your kids. They know when you've crossed your own lines. And if you want to have integrity with people and with your own family, apologize. When, when you make excuses for your lack of follow through or, or for why you have violated something that you consider you know, to be wrong, you lose integrity with people. Covering for your sins includes covering for your actual sins. Making excuses, not responding, going dark, ghosting somebody, avoiding responding or avoiding giving a straight answer. People understand that we are not robots. We are going to mess it up. Your kids know you're not perfect. Your family knows you're not perfect. Perfect. Your spouse knows you're not perfect. All the rest of the church knows that you're not perfect. And so acknowledge your imperfections. And it preserves integrity with people. So when you make a mistake, you drop the ball, you mess it up, you lose your cool, you don't follow through. Most reasonable people will get it. But the breakdown comes and followers of Jesus are evasive. Principle number seven, practice healthy boundaries. Proverbs 25, 4 through 5 says, Take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. 22, verse 10 says, Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease, according to the wise man. That when the king boundaries the wicked from his life, that's when his throne will be established in righteousness. Principle number seven is practice healthy boundaries. 
Practice healthy boundaries. Well, it's a boundary very quickly. A boundary is like a fence around your yard. If fence is a clear marker of where your property begins and ends and the rest of the world begins and ends. And like I have property in a property line in my house, my neighbor can do his thing in his yard as he chooses to see fit. But if he wants to stumble over and do that kind of stuff and live that kind of way in my front lawn, we are going to have a problem because he's violating my boundaries. You have every right to determine what goes on in your yard as a property owner. The same with your life. You get to set boundaries. You need to know where your life ends and another person's problems and responsibilities begin. And people who repeatedly violate your boundaries need to be told that they can no longer do that. And if they refuse, you need to boundary them from your life for a time. And this is hard. But you have a responsibility to clear wicked, toxic, and sinful people from your life if they are causing you harm or a danger to your family. Now, there are situations where people feel trapped and they can't do this. They're in abusive relationships. You need to reach out and get help and people will stand with you. Examples of boundary violations are inappropriate, toxic, sinful, or abusive behavior. People wanting you to take responsibility for what is truly theirs. For example... If you have adult children, they want you to take responsibility for their finances. They want you to take responsibility for the problems that are in their life. You can, but understand that you are bringing somebody else's stuff into your yard. And then if you do, you can't get upset when the trash that they have brought into your yard starts to make your yard stink a little bit. You have let it in. I remember this, and, and it's probably because my wife's downstairs. Uh, I remember once, Stephanie and I, we had a really big argument. Like, big argument. And I was mad, and I walked out, and I, I slammed the door. And for the first time, this happened years ago, the first time ever, I called my dad. And I was like, Dad, we had a fight. I was all upset. I was mad. I was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And he went, uh, oh, okay. I'm sure you'll figure it out. I'm, um, I'm here, uh, here eating pizza with your mother. So uh, I'm going to let you go. And uh, you'll figure it out. That was the best thing he could. People are like, I can't believe, I can't believe the pastor did that. No, that was the best thing he could ever did. What was I doing? I was trying to bring trash from my own relationship and dump it into his yard. And he said, not on my lawn, get off my lawn. <laughs> you want to know what I did? I went home and I opened the door and we, we talked about it. And obviously we're still here, still very happily married. We solved our own problems. That was an example of my dad boundering me from my life or for boundering my issue from, from his life because it wasn't his problem, it was mine. You know the phrase, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. You can't get upset about allowing people to come dump 
the drama of their life on their yard and then get mad at them for dumping the drama of their life on your yard. Doesn't work like that. You have to establish boundaries. It's why I don't co-sign loans for people. It's, it's why I, I, don't, I don't use my credit for people. That's their problem. Scripture says, bear one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. And then it says in verse 5, each one must carry their daily load. And when people don't discern what is a crushing weight for them to carry or what they are unable to carry and what is their daily toil, they will attempt to bring their problems on you. You have to help them clarify, no, this is a you problem. That's not a me problem. I'm here to pray for you and be your friend, but I'm not taking responsibility for this component of your life. Here are types of boundaries. And Lisa, come help me crash land this sermon. Types of boundaries, words, time, and distance. Words, time, and distance. Boundaries and words are things like, if you're going to have this type of inflammatory emotion around me, we're not having a conversation. If, we're gonna, if you're gonna say those types of words to me, that abusive language to me, the conversation is over. It means that you don't hang out with those people for a period of time so that there can be a distancing in the relationship. Um, Sometimes there's physical distance, as in if it's very abusive, we believe marriage is for life. But if someone is in a truly abusive marriage or abusive relationship, get out. You don't stay there and be slapped around and be mistreated. You don't. You don't. That is, you do not subject children to physical and verbal and sexual abuse. You get out and you report it and you bring accountability in your life. Boundaries are time, words, and distance. It means if there are very toxic members of your family, extended family, you don't hang out with them. You don't, you don't have to go over on the holidays if it's going to descend into some sort of chaos. You can boundary them for your own spiritual, mental, and emotional health. Adam, how are you going to end this sermon? And more importantly, you've given me seven principles. How in the world am I going to handle all of this? Galatians 5, 22. Let's go to the New Testament. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. I want to focus the conclusion of my thought on this. The fruit of the Spirit Adam, how am I going to speak truth in love? How am I going to discern who's wise and who's a fool? How am I going to do all the, how am I going to have boundaries? How am I going to make sure that I don't have knee-jerk responses? How am I going to make sure that I have the wisdom to not just plow ahead, but to stop and think about what I'm going to do? Well, when we jump over to the New Testament, Galatians says the fruit of the Spirit is all of the things we talked about tonight. Yes, you're going to have to put in the effort. Yes, you're going to have to say, I'm not putting up with this type of behavior in my life anymore. 
I'm not putting up with these type of people anymore. Yes, I'm going to make sure that I'm being vulnerable to the right individuals, but you're not going to do it on your own. In fact, you shouldn't. The scripture says that the spirit of almighty God will produce love and joy and peace and long suffering and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self control We keep getting into fights. I keep slamming the door. I keep letting crazy things pour out of my mouth when I get mad. Well, what you need is not another book on anger management, though you could probably do with another one of those. What you need is the Holy Ghost. All of these things I've talked about tonight predicate on one thing, and that is you let the Spirit of God move in your life not just so that you can amen the right doctrinal points that gets preached across this pulpit not just so that you can jump and run and shout and cry and fall on the ground when we have church but as pastor preached you need on sunday you need the holy spirit to order your inside world so that you can live a biblical christ oriented jesus glorifying life you Be the Lord of your struggles and your life and your drama, drama, drama. So here's how we're going to conclude the altar call. Here's how we're going to bring this to a close tonight as we stand all over this room. This altar call, this time of prayer and worship is not for you to pray for some great, tremendous physical miracle. It's for you to invite God in the rigors of your everyday life. Talk to God about your struggle with your own humanity and how you got to deal with people in order to make it to heaven. I am convinced that sometimes we struggle with difficult people and difficult circumstances because we've boundaried the Holy Ghost from areas of our life. And my message to you in the last 10 minutes of this service I need you to open up the gate and while you get ready to usher some attitudes and some words and some things and some people out of your yard, you need to bring Jesus into the people and relationship side of your yard. And you need to let the Holy Ghost direct you and guide you and give you wisdom on how you can deal with difficult people and difficult situations in your life. I wonder if we could raise our hands right now. Jesus, all of us in this room, as we are journeying through life, we encounter people. We encounter tension in our most cherished relationships. We encounter problems. Lord God, with our bosses, with our work, Jesus, we encounter issues, God, within our own families and extended families. And God, dealing with all of it can be overwhelming, but Lord, your word has an answer and your spirit gives us power.
So right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that the Holy Ghost would come into this room, not just to give us revelation about who you are, but God to illuminate our hearts, Lord, so that when we leave here, we know how to deal with our family. We know how to deal with our job. We need, we need to, Lord Jesus, we know how to deal with our, our children's teachers at school. God, we're able to deal with the stress and the rigor and the drama of life. Baptize us again with your Holy Spirit and power, God, so that, Jesus, we can deal with our relationships as you would have them. In Jesus' name, and as they sing, I invite you to come to this altar. I invite you to pray in your seat about the relationships that you have in your life. Maybe you need to say sorry to somebody. Maybe you need to own a mistake that you've made and your pride's been holding you back. You need to say, God, help me to apologize. God, help me to let things go. These altars are open right now as they begin to sing. This altar is open for you just to reach out to Jesus. I said, I want you to reach out to him right now.